Uh, Merlin, you know what I liked about this episode of Top Chef? What's that? The uh, the little thumbnail in uh, iTunes looked like a little sailor boy. Oh, it does it. Let me have a look at that. It was, it was very cute. A little sailor boy. Oh, oh, you know what? My daughter asked about that. Is that... Who, whose photo was that? Uh, let me consult my notes because I actually watched this episode and wrote things down. It was Chad who enlisted, I believe, in the Navy or the Coast Guard or one of those because he said he wanted to, quote, kick whoever's ass that did whatever they did to us after 9-11. I mean, really, that sums it up. <laughs> I mean, That's a terrific quote. Yeah. Wait, I have another question. Are you, are, are, you, are you on headphones or is this like some sort of speaker situation? I'm on headphones. Can, we, can you put me on a speaker? Yeah. Unplug me. Set me loose. Okay. What are you going to do? Alexa, turn the lights off. Let me just turn my lights off. I don't know why that's so funny to me. Oh my goodness. It totally worked. They're out. Alexa, who is Merlin Mann? <laughs> I'm shutting you off. You're cut off. That's it. Uh, now you're going to make other people, uh, the five other people that have an Alexa are going to get that now too. That's their fault for putting it in their house. Can I tell you my conspiracy theory about Alexa? I know we should, be t- we should talk about Top Shop at some point. I have an Alexa conspiracy theory. I as one to say, thank God they're not talking about Top Chef anymore on the Top Scallop show. Yeah, well, you know what? Listen, I think that the dozen people who are still listening to this are, uh, uh, I think they're happy uh, with the with the uh, content that we're producing yeah, at this point. Yeah, that's high quality content. Oh, it's good stuff. Uh, here's, my, theory. <clears throat> here's my conspiracy theory. So I know that a couple years ago, a TV manufacturer, like let's just say like Samsung or whoever, got busted because they had some sort of um, uh, microphone and like signal processing software running in the television and what they would do is they would I mean not a human but a computer algorithm would passively listen to the conversation in your house while the TV was plugged in even when it was off and it would it would sort of build a profile of you as a consumer and they would then sell that advertising information to people online so let's say you know you and your wife are having a conversation you're like hey I think we really need to buy a new washing machine the TV would sort of pick that up, do the signal processing, and then sell the fact that you were a potential washing machine customer to Amazon, and they would show you ads for washing machines, even though you had never Googled it or put it in the computer before. So I suspect, I mean, if you just think about Amazon, like why why did they do the things they do, why would they make Alexa? Like that's the only thing I can think of is that it sits in your house. It, we, you already know it does the signal processing. It's like sitting there, you know, listening to stuff. They must be using that to tailor your ads. Is that crazy? Is that a crazy conspiracy theory? Could be possible. I'm trying to find something. I think it was on Reply All, but it was ex- no somewhere it was on some podcast I listened to. But yeah, it was exactly the same thing where where people were talking about these like seemingly impossible coincidences about mentioning something in the room to somebody, and then the next time they looked at you know whatever and something on, an ad on Google like popped up for the thing that they were talking about. So I don't know. You think they would do that? That seems pretty creepy. I mean, Amazon seems like a company without a lot of, uh, well, let's say, I don't think that institutionally they do not seem like a company that values taste. No, no, no. You know, I should think about that. I should shut this off. I wish I could find this for you. It's really good. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, um, I, get, I get a lot of value out of those things, and so I tend to kind of overlook those parts when I probably shouldn't. But... Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm at peace with with Gmail. I mean, Gmail is a good enough. I wish I could pay for Gmail and not have them do the creepy things that they do. 
but it's a good enough tool that it's my, that's my deal with the devil. Yeah, and I have a lot of that stuff filtered. Uh, so like if I do accidentally see it somewhere, like I can tell when I open up a web page and something that doesn't do ad blockers and it's like, whoa, this is like, you know, when I'm in like a, what do they call it? A web view, like mm-hmm. inside of an app and it's not running whatever the ad thing I use on iOS is, man, it is crazy what you see. Oh so. yeah. I know what you're talking about. I mean, the, I noticed cause the page, lo- uh, I'm, I'm using, um, what do you, what do you use now? I'm, I'm using, uh. I don't know. I used the Marco one, and then I used the one Marco said he uses because he doesn't use the Marco one anymore. Yeah, Purity, I think, is what Marco recommended, uh, which I think is what I'm using. And, the man, the effect on page load time is just uh, just remarkable. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's staggering. Um, the problem is I, I do read a lot of stuff, like, on my iPad. And, you know, even just in the part of my house that doesn't get the fast Wi-Fi, like, it is noticeable. It is really, really noticeable. Yeah, it's, it's gross. I don't know. I don't know. Like that's a, that's a good conspiracy theory, but like with Amazon, hmm, I don't know. There are other people I wouldn't put it past them. Like, and that's part of the reason. Like some of what the tracker, trackers do, like it's it's pretty unsavory. Mm-hmm. Haven't eaten, so I'm kind of starving now. Ah, oh, should have eaten. I was I was gonna make internet ramen, but I ran out of time. What's internet ramen? Oh, where you? Is this where you order fancy ramens from the internet? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you make it yourself, though. Yeah. Yeah. There's this kind of uh, ramen that, according to all the ramen blogs, you know, for a long time, it was always in the top 10 of, like, uh, of instant ramens, and it's really good. I did, um, I went to one of those, like, ramen, one of those, like, obsessive ramen blogs and ordered all of the top-reviewed ramens one time. This is, uh, My Kuali is the brand. Mm-hmm. Penang White Curry Noodle, I'm told by the internet, is not technically ramen. Mm-hmm. Now, Merlin, I, so I read the um, the racist uh, MSG article that you uh, that we put in the show notes last week, which is which I I mean, totally agree and fascinating like cultural history. Yeah, see, I MSG, I I definitely taste it. I know I can tell when it's there in something, and I don't see. I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where like I feel really silly. I feel like I don't know, like the Richard Dawkins of food or something. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to tell people like how they feel or don't feel and try to use science as a cudgel. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't really know. But it's, well, I think it's, <clears throat> so I think it's like the, uh, the tryptophan and the turkey where it's like, yeah, everybody anecdotally has a turkey dinner for Thanksgiving and they're really sleepy afterwards. But also you don't eat all day and then you just cram a pile of carbs and puddings and potatoes into your mouth extremely quickly and you're, of course, you're going to collapse under the weight of all of that, you know, cream and oil. Yeah, and I, I think you know, John regards himself as uh, John Roderick, uh, who I do this program with, uh, regards himself as someone who is uh, sensitive. He's force sensitive mm-hmm. to uh, to MSG. Mm-hmm. It, it has an effect on him. I just, I just like it. I sneak it into everything. My my daughter and I call it secret salt because we don't tell mom that we put it in everything. Um, yeah, I think it's like I think it's like if you're starving and you go to the uh, dim sum. And you order all of the, you know, fried newspaper and uh, mayonnaise globs. And you, Those are good. Yeah, but it's just like, I mean, you're, you're just turning your stomach into like a concrete mixer of, of cream and oil and, and, you know, pastry. You're, you're going to feel weird. I guess I'm curious about, uh, I'm not that curious, so please don't email me. I'm not actually that curious. But, I mean, I wonder how often they control, you know, the use of a certain amount of MSG in a given food versus going like, how do you feel when you eat Chinese food? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, like a lot of cheap Chinese places also use like 
don't they use like kind of those uh, those oils that we generally try to avoid a lot of times? A lot of sometimes probably kind of inexpensive ingredients. But it's it's also it's just it's just unhealthy food, and in that dim sum setting, you're just eating so much of it so quickly. It's so exciting, you know. I well, I don't know. Maybe this is just me, but it's like I I mean I. Any notion of like propriety is just out the window. Like I'm just grabbing things off the cart. I'm cramming them in my mouth. I'm I'm eating a whole scallion pancake that's just oil dripping down my face. Like it's just a, it's just garbage. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah, in some cases, right. literally, it's literally fried garbage. No, it's literally garbage. You don't you don't care though because somebody's got it on a cart. So, yeah, I mean that qualifies. Yeah, yeah. It's not, no, it's not I, a cart. I, it's... I, I, uh, yeah. See, I I don't know. I don't know. I but I do know. See, for example, like. God, great. We're talking about gluten. We've finally reached gluten. Like when people talk about the gluten thing, Mm -hmm. like, for example, without, you know, putting uh, too much uh, detail into it, I have uh, some digestive issues Mm -hmm. that are a a kind of a chronic problem that some people have. So I do need to watch what I eat. So, you know, can I tell you, am I allergic to onions? No. I made roasted Brussels sprouts with bacon and onions last night, and they were great. Like, I'm not allergic to any one thing, but in the aggregate, I can tell you that if I eat if I eat these five foods and wash it down with a bunch of beer, I can tell you that I'm going to have problems. Is that any one thing? I don't know, but there's something in my makeup, you know. And then again, there are people I know who do have things like celiac disease or food allergies where it does make a difference. What I what I can tell you as somebody who used to weigh about 30 pounds more than I do now is that cutting out going on Atkins, yes, Atkins, uh, and cutting out all kinds of stuff that may have been a problem food for me made a huge difference in my health and well-being. And I discovered that favoring uh, protein, a variety of proteins, over just eating a big pile of something starchy did make me feel a lot better. So I don't know. I mean, can I say that's just gluten? I don't think so. But that also meant like fewer French fries. And what it meant was mindfulness about trying to pick a food that would give rather than sap energy. Do you know what I mean? That's, I mean, that's always my, my skeptical, my, my like John Syracuse mind, <clears throat> whenever I hear, you know, anyone's like diet success story, part of me is always like, um, um, well, this was like what, what, uh, on, uh, on your other program with, uh, with John, where he was talking about, you're talking about tricks to remember things. And if you believe it, it'll work. Right. And John was <laughs> like, well, any heuristic, as long as you believe it, it's essentially a placebo and eventually you'll remember it. And, and he was like, that's mine. My own heuristic is its own heuristic of like, I could just believe anything and it works and that works because I believe it, which is sort of a weird meta thing. But I have a similar sort of logic about diets, which is like, if you go from not paying any attention to what you eat to just like writing down the foods you eat and thinking about it, you'll eat healthier. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that's got to be, and again, I don't have any science, I don't have a paper in front of me, but my gut is that that is the bedrock of any change that you want to make is is that the first step in some ways is, I don't want to say, you know, admitting you have a problem, but like admitting that it's something you're going to pay attention to. That right there makes all the difference. I mean, there's so many things in life that where our perception is so governed by how and how much we're paying attention to something. And if you cause somebody to pay attention to something, this thing more than that thing, like everything changes. You've seen that video. I don't want to spoil it, but have you seen that video about perception that involves somebody passing a basketball? Uh, this sounds, go on, this sounds familiar. Well, there's, see, and I don't want to spoil it, but if you haven't seen it, there's a video that went around a few years ago that's a, a, an experiment in perception where basically you say, okay, there's people over here arbitrarily. Let's say there's these people with black jerseys, these people with white jerseys, and they're going to be passing a basketball. And you have to count how many times somebody with a white jersey passed the basketball to somebody else. I'm going to spoil it. Okay. Uh, So you're watching this and and maybe 50% or so of people see or don't see something, which is that somebody in a gorilla suit 
walks by in the back in the background while you're watching this. I happen to be one of the people who did not see the gorilla. Uh huh. And then I watched it again. I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Because I mean, that's how perception works. That's, when we, that's when amazing. When we focus on one thing, we unfocus on all these other things, and so what we choose to focus on ends up having a huge impact on like who we are. Let me, Merlin. Let me let me turn it on you for a second. Do yes. you now? Do you? I know that you um, consider yourself a, a productivity guru. Uh, I if do. You will. I absolutely do. Yes. Um, with uh, with a lot of uh, life hacks and tips and tricks. Now, do you think that? <clears throat> similarly like people who get results out of something like a, a getting things done or a, um the uh, hipster pda uh or you know any of these systems is it the system that's doing the work or is it that people came up with a way to measure it and pay attention to it that's a great question i i think some a lot of the times it takes a series of different MacGuffins, right you know that term from from hitchcock it's mm. like is is this really what the plot is about or is this just kind of what drives the story and gets it into action well there's a MacGuffin with something like gtd or any productivity system which is that well first of all you're kind of acknowledging that there needs to be a change and so then you're adopting this system as something you can like geek out on i think one reason geeks like getting things done is because it is a system it isn't just a matter of going get up early and try harder like there's something involved there's stuff you buy there's a you know there's things you implement and so i think that helps be a little bit of a scaffolding where like you're really noticing now you're really working on the house like this is the thing that i'm doing but yeah i think the systems in themselves can be really useful too um, but even at, when you reach the point where you feel like you don't necessarily 100% need the system maintaining the awareness even after you have it is still a good thing you know what I mean? So, and that's when you joke about the life hack stuff. But the problem with the life hack stuff is if you are like, you know, sort of um, sourcing and consuming life hacks just because it's a fun thing to do, that's okay. It's fun as long as you know that's recreation. That's not that different from playing pinball and thinking it's making you get your work done. It's realizing it's the presence of mind that makes you say, here's the thing I need to improve on. I need to quit being late for things. Yeah. Or, or, or even just the idea that, like, <clears throat> if there's stuff that you're not getting done in your life, that there's, like, a way to systematize it or, like, think about the problem in a, a – how did you call it? Like, uh, the Martian thinking where it's, like, well, you, you, you can break it down to your capabilities and solve the math problem. Yeah, ever since, since you know, Syracuse has said something like that or around that a couple times now. And, I, I you know, of course, as always, I disagree with him at first and then I end up obsessing about it. But you're right. What he describes is something where, like, you know – he like he's will frequently say, well, here's my mental model for this. Which mental model is almost certainly incorrect, but it's how I think about this thing. But that doesn't make it any less useful as a model, as long as you know that it's a model. So I, I think that can that kind of stuff can be extremely useful. I think this also really helps with like low level mood and personality things. Like being aware of how you feel about things in your life can start having an impact on you. If you make a conscious decision to like say like not even just be Pollyanna, but just say, like, I'm, I'm going to try and look at this a different way today. I don't know. I think that can have a huge impact. Do, do you do things like that? Um, I have heard, I mean, honestly, a lot of even just for me knowing that this stuff is out there or this whole thought technology came from uh, listening to your uh, back to work program and, and uh, uh, you know, reading your stuff over the years. So I've adopted a lot of the uh, the stuff that you've talked about. So like uh, one of my favorite ones uh, that I think you said was like, if you need to bring something to work when you go out, uh, put it in front of the door before you go. And that was like, I, I know that's dumb, but that would just, that was one of those, like the light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, that's kind of a metaphor for, uh, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't necessarily like rely, like, you know, I, it was sort of, it was a, you know what I realized? It was like, I'm relying on myself to, to remember and, and, put into action all this huge amount of information and then I just beat myself up when I don't do it 
but it's not realistic. Like, it, you know, it's like I'm not doing myself any favors. So, you know, I'm, I'm often thinking about like, how do I, you know, metaphorically, like, how do I put this in front of the door so I don't forget it, you know? So that could be just writing everything, to, having quick capture to put everything in OmniFocus or like showing up to meetings with a pad of paper so I can write down what I need to do after the meeting. I mean, small stuff like that, but those are, those are skills that doesn't come automatically. I, well, and I think I think you're uh, thank you for saying that, but also I think that's a wise thing to do. But you know, to even realize how smart something like like I don't want to forget to take this thing. In my case, there's always inevitably something I need to bring to school, pick up from school, do something, permission form, drop off a check. But something as dumb as like put this in the put this check in the refrigerator with your car keys. Like that sounds mental and really a reminder on iOS would work just as well. But what that is, that's maybe a little bit silly, a little bit wackadoodle. But if I put that with her lunchbox, we can't get in the car unless we have that with us. So, but what that takes ultimately is a certain amount of humility, which is realizing, I don't know if that's exactly the right word, but when you're young, you just assume that everything that you assume that the way you are when you're young is how you will always be. So you don't need to learn these skills. Right. And if you even look at things like a little bit of tangent here, but look at things like the way in the last 15 years of web development, we've started to understand that accessibility on a web page is great for everybody. It isn't just for people who don't have good vision. It's not just for people who have different kinds of, you know, say movement disabilities or, or what have you. You know, ramps are good for everybody. Ramps help everybody get up to the library. So having those there and using them is not saying, it's not abdicating your, your youth and vigor. It's a way of understanding eventually everybody's going to get that. And having these things out there is it's good for everybody. You brought this up on Back to Work uh, a couple of episodes ago, and it's, it's so smart. It's such a good one, which is uh, whenever you're in the kitchen and you like put an egg in the pot to boil or you're, you have something on a pan and you know you need to keep it on the heat for seven minutes, I everybody falls into this trap of they're like, I'll just look at the clock in seven minutes and fix it. And then you never do and you always burn it and you always feel bad. And then you always wind up beating yourself up of like, why didn't I look at the clock enough? But it's the easiest thing. Like everybody has a phone in their pocket and you can just take it out and you can go – uh, what do you say so we don't turn it on on everyone's phone? Uh, Ahoy telephone. <laughs> Ahoy, thank you. Ahoy telephone. I'll set a timer for seven minutes. I mean, that's a, that's a game changer. Just being able to like outsource that, you know, don't burn those cycles in your, in your head, but just outsource it. Let the phone handle it. it it's perfect. It works every time. It, it does. And I have someone I love very, very much in my life who doesn't do that. And that's why our daughter has uh, mushy pasta sometimes because seven <laughs> minutes is just about the perfect amount of time to forget something. And I might have mentioned this in that episode, but if you think you're really great at seven minutes, like without thinking about it too much, say to yourself, okay, I'm going to remember to do something in seven minutes. Look at the clock. And then go do whatever it is that you were going to do anyway and see how accurately you guessed when it was seven minutes, especially if you ended up having to do something else along the way. You should never have to do that again. And for me with the sous vide stuff, this is, this is especially great because I might, I'll like forget when I put it in. Like I've been doing so much sous vide. I'd love to talk about that if we have time. But like, for example, you know, uh, take out these pork chops, take out this chicken in 75 minutes. And then it's great. You just forget about it. Like you be a dummy. It's so great to be a dummy. Yeah, I um. So I've been using a uh, a, a Pomodoro app on my uh, Mac. Do you know about the, this? Is like this thing people are into. It's called Zone. I'll see if I can find it. But it, all it is is it's an app where you can type in a bunch of lines of text, and it sets a timer for fifteen minutes of them, and pings you when it's like fifteen minutes are up. Now do the next thing, right? So uh, I've been specifically using this for email because I I can. Well, now we're we're going down the whole Merlin. I feel like we could we could 
this is a whole a whole thing well, we get into. I'm living in the Merlin hole right now. My email is a mess today. But but I I really easily get into that trap of working out of my inbox. So whoever complained most recently in my inbox, they get my time and attention, and I spend the whole day doing whatever the most obnoxious person in my inbox you know emailed me about. And I'm I'm really trying to get out of that. But so what I do is I set a timer for 15 minutes, and I'm like I'm going to go into my inbox and just process things. I'm not going to necessarily deal with everything, but just process it. Make a to do list, put it into OmniFocus, do it. You know, just get through the email so I feel like it's not hanging over my head. And then I can like step back and make a more reasoned decision of like, what do I actually need to get done today? And it's amazing. Uh, it's kind of an eye opener for me because I'm using this 15 minute timer, how little 15 minutes is. Like, I mean, that's one email for me sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, the reason is that in my case with, with the procrastination about email, it's, there's no email in my inbox that is that easy to answer. Because if it were, I either well, I either would have ignored it or I would have already done it. But like, for example, I had committed to going to a, a dinner thing with a friend this week that I'm pretty sure I can and will go to, but I'm still feeling this resistance because it's a school night. And now I'm the stooge because I should have responded to this last week. I'm probably going to say yes, but if I'm not going to say yes, why don't I just say no? It's just that once you get more than five of those, for example, like that's when your quality of life goes down because now there's nothing you can do where you won't be thinking about all that stuff that you're not doing over here. And so what you're describing, I think is really smart. And you're right. 15 minutes, 15 minutes goes by. Again, use a timer, like be an adult. It will blow your mind. But, you know, I think one of the best practices you can do if you can handle it is to make a deal with yourself. And I'm, I'm usually pretty good at this. It's just right now after the holidays, I'm still a little backed up. But like, you know, make a deal with yourself to like make some kind of decision to the extent possible about everything in your inbox by the end of the day. And that's that's to me the most sustainable version of what has been called inbox zero is like, you know, you don't have to keep it empty all the time. But if there's an email that you haven't answered in two weeks in your inbox, something's not right. That's there's something about that that's that's not sensible. But you're right. I mean, if you make a budget for it, make a budget for how much you can afford to, to spend in terms of time and then see how that goes. So you watch you watch this one. Intro. Do chefs remain. Uh, I watched this one two and a half times and I still don't remember what happened, but I did take notes. All right. Let me go to my, um, little, uh, simple note list, uh, brought to us by uh, hidden Valley original ranch Hidden Valley original, except no substitute. Uh, well here I had something to call out actually. So they're starting every season now with, uh, where we sort of begin in the top chef house and they're talking about the shocking twists and turns of last week's episode. You, so you immediately sort of brings you back to the aftermath. Yeah, something they always have done on Top Dress, but I think this is new for Top Chef. Uh, they, well, I know they've like sporadically done it before, but they're, it's definitely the go-to. Like every episode is opening with that this season. And uh, someone brought up on Twitter, um, one of our, uh, our listeners, brought up something that I can't stop noticing now, which is the sound quality on this, just the recording quality on this episode of... Uh, or on this uh, season of Top Chef, is not great. Like, it's very inconsistent. And it really comes out during those house sequences. So I think uh, I saw Alex replied on... Well, Alex, you're, I don't know why I'm speaking for Alex. You see, our producer Alex is here. Alex, what was your... You had a, a sort of an explanation for this. 
So they keep moving around, and normally they'll have, like I, I talked about this before, normally they have that a stew room, but now they are bringing people out, and obviously everyone's loved, um, but they don't have those backup booms around. Like, there's a, way more subtitling this year. Like, I watch it with the subtitles on, um, but my girlfriend doesn't and has noticed as well. There are way more subtitles, and I think it's just they are so rushed, and they're just going from place to place. I, I think there are actually different crews in different locations um, because the sound varies so much. And is it is it the fidelity of the sound or it's just is it like a weird mix? Like when you say the sound's bad, like is it it just it's it just sounds like it's poorly mic'd? Um I would say both. A lot of the house scenes um seem poorly mic'd. A lot of the uh I mean there's really no kitchen this season. So whenever they're doing uh, a quick fire challenge, it's really spotty and it has been in past seasons. Um but I think just there is a difference in fidelity because it's different crews and different equipment. But that could be total bullshit. That's that's it. It's like it's like this. It's like a combination of like the just like the sound quality isn't there. Like maybe like everyone's just getting recorded on on a smaller number of sources, and then sometimes I'll notice like someone will turn away from the camera and you just can't hear what they're saying anymore. And so they'll bring in like a subtitle or something. I still continue to notice. Um sort of poor ADR. You hear this sometimes, and I think I think this mostly comes out of they got to do stuff like film the opening, they got to shoot the opening with Padma. You know, you will rarely see Padma's, Padma's mouth moving when they're talking about the sponsor. Uh, I mean, in terms of specifics, <laughs> like how what the dollar amount is. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, and it sounds slightly different. It sounds like a different room. And you know what's the worst is uh, the Gordon Ramsay shows. There's just parts all through his shows where it just sounds like it sounds like a robocall. He's in a completely different room. There's no reverb. He's much closer on the mic. You can really hear it's a difference. And I, I have pretty dead ears. I don't notice these things. I do notice that. I, I have to say I had not noticed the lower sound quality, but now I'll probably have to notice it. I'm glad I could take that away from you, Merlin. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I have so little left. Man, but man, the cooks are good this season. As of this week, I was updating our chef testant list. As of this week, man, stuff is getting real. Like, I, th- this is a tight group. I feel like we might have rounded the curve. I think uh, like Alex and I were both saying we really like this episode. This, this felt like the first great episode this season. And for me, I think we might have rounded the curve out of that sort of like um, weird middle ground that we were talking about last week where there's like these hangers on who are just trying to float in the middle. Like the people who are left are, they're going for it. Like the, everyone there wants to win. Oh, including Philip, who yeah. like, you know, continues to be occasionally impressive. Yeah, I read, um, I don't know, we haven't, we haven't talked about this too much, but on the uh, Bravo uh, website for Top Chef, they have like it, people attached to the show write a blog post every week about what's going on and I've been I, I kind of like caught up with some of those this week and you know the ones I had missed and um, it was interesting like hearing um, a Philip uh, uh, a Richard Blaze wrote the one from last week where pota- Philip made that potato I think it was the one where he made that potato cream that was just like yeah he made uh, spray on mashed potatoes yeah that 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 uh, unfortunate mashed potato thing and Richard was like he's like you know I'm a Philip sympathizer I feel like he's kind of a misunderstood artist and uh, you know I don't know if I'm ready to get on on board with all of that but hearing the Richard Blaze vote of confidence, that counts for a lot with me. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's certainly very ambitious. I think if you took out all the stuff they do to edit in, to leave in all the parts where he says something uh, kind of silly, overly grandiose, self-serving, and a little star fuckery, 
Mm-hmm. Like if you took all of those out, you go like, oh, that guy's like he's pretty, he's a little wacky. But I mean, I, he seems to he seems to know what he's doing. Well, I, just to, if, we're, if we can go out of like uh, chronological order for the episode, <clears throat> like there was a couple of interesting Philip quotes that I wrote down in uh, my notes when I watched and wrote down notes from the episode this week, uh, as I did. Uh, so uh, let's see. He when he did not win the quick fire. Uh, he said he got he was he was real mad and he was he like was. and he was like why is it that even when I make something perfect I don't win and I wonder am I, am I not supposed to make yummy food yeah and I was wonder that what he said? it's like, yeah I think he literally said that and it was like I think there might there was I wonder if there wasn't if he didn't have a little bit of a self awareness moment as he was saying those things on camera because that's a ridiculous thing to say and then in the general challenge he said he he sort of collected himself. He was much more calm, and he said, I have a new strategy. I'm now making technically – what he said, he says, my new strategy is I'm making technically proficient food. That was it. And the, judges, that, yeah. and the judges loved his food this week. I mean, I don't yeah. know what he was trying to do before because that seems kind of like how you should go into Top Chef. But I wonder if he's not – if this isn't sort of like a, a turning point for his uh, character on the show of like, uh, you know, he's, he's going to try and go back to fundamentals, and it turns out he actually can cook when he's not – Trying to show off. That's 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 a would definitely be an interesting turn for him. But you know, this this is the same thing we end up talking about a little bit every week, which is that you know, well, which one of the overriding conventional wisdoms on Top Chef do you choose to follow? Should you do your fundamentals? Should you do something solid? Should you do something that really stretches? Should you develop flavor? Like the thing is, like for every one of these challenges, there's going to be at least one judge who says you're doing it wrong. Poor Jason, he did that like some sort of in the in the elimination challenge. He did that pretty bad looking like like octopus dish but to his defense at least it was a um what was it It was like a, a heritage it was, dish uh, it was a, a pork meatball and with squid and then there were some tentacles of squid on there and it, it looked i don't know it looked like uh kind of Cthulhu. <laughs> with like a banana pudding too or something it the did banana- not the bananas <laughs> But uh, I just, I, I mean, you're right. It just, just, it's like, it's kind of that same double bind of like, he was correct that that was some sort of historic recipe that's been, you know, whatever that he was trying to bring back. And, you know, it's like the chef's dingdom. They're like, oh, well, don't do an old recipe because there's a reason it's not made anymore. But they often say the same thing to someone else. If they're like, don't reinvent the wheel when there's a classic recipe that you could go to. Right. They're like, don't, don't, don't try to make like spray can potatoes when we have perfectly good uh, historic mashed potatoes. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's really no one rule to follow because it also still depends so much on what everybody else does as well. You know what I mean? It's it's always in context with what everyone else has done. But no, I mean, like, maybe it's just the editing, but I feel like he comported himself uh, well this time. You know, uh, unfortunately, my man Wesley, like, I was really pulling for him this episode, and it just didn't didn't happen. Ah, oh, poor Wesley just takes a beating in the edit of this uh, in this episode. Like, I'm convinced he was no more or less, like, clumsy or sloppy than any other chef but like god every time he you know knocks into a pan or drops a fork they like zoom in and out of it and there's like a crazy sound effects like oh here we go wesley uh, knocked over a baking tray <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> i think we saw some plumber butt on him too yeah him? yeah i mean it's you know i feel like this is one of those things of like who doesn't get a little plumber butt in the kitchen a little bit of vertical chef they call it <laughs> Where are we here? So we are, we, are in, when, uh, we are in uh, San Diego. Is they right? go to San Diego. The chefs are off to San Diego. We get a nice uh, driving around in the um, sponsored uh, Jeep vehicles or, or whatever it was uh, uh, at where uh, Chad says that he uh, joined the Navy so he could, uh, uh, quote, kick whoever's ass did whatever they did to us. <laughs> 
I don't mean to make fun. I mean that's a no, good thing to no, do. It's a, very, it's just, it's a noble thing to do. Adam Driver did the same thing. It's just the that so that's you know, just you know Adam Driver joined the Marines after nine eleven. I did not know that. Kylo Ren, no no spoilers. I did not know that. So he was a Marine. He's got, he's got action figures, plenty of action figures. <laughs> not a problem. Not a problem. I'm not bitter. So at we're at the end of your, uh, so at the end of the program last week, because it was looking at a different podcast. Who was the so who was the voice of the woman at the end of the episode? Was it from a different podcast? Yeah, you know, so, you know, Merlin. I think a lot of people tune into this podcast to hear two men uh, talk about uh, their their technology opinions and uh, sort of have these uh, long meandering conversations. That's the genre. Yeah, to hear hear two white guys speculate speculate about things they saw on television. Yeah, I mean that's why people. Let's not kid ourselves. That's why people are here. It's a classic. It's a classic. Uh, classic genre of podcasting. Anyway, it's good week, a big week. Uh, we're cooking with Raz Al Ghul. Uh, <laughs> It's, a, it's an African uh, villain. Oh, God. I have never heard of... Well, I guess, should we do this chronologically? Yeah, yeah. Let me, okay, let me go. Let me uh, consult my extensive notes that I wrote down when I watched the episode this week. Uh, let's see, where are we here? San Diego. Uh, of course, when they get to San Diego, of course, everybody knows that San Diego is known for their uh, Baja slash Cali style. Oh, we got to talk about the tacos. Yeah, and then it was a sudden death quick fire with making fish tacos. You know, if I had skills and I were a chef and I were on TV, I don't want to say that I wouldn't try to replicate basically sushi in order to make a taco. But, like, the thing is, if it's a taco, like, I would say go crazy with the fillings and stuff, but I would not get too wackadoodle with, like, you know what? I would use a tortilla. I'm going to go there. I would make it with a tortilla. (laughs) I know that sounds very middle of the road, but I think I would want to do that. Uh, There were some, uh, it seemed like there were some unfortunate sort of panicked, taco reinventions yes uh yeah and again i'm referring to wesley here in particular with his uh he made a makimoto taco mm-hmm. a makito taco mm-hmm. didn't he didn't he like didn't he like have freaking like cucumbers and mango it, wound it, up around he, he, wesley had many issues my favorite of which was he he got into a fight with someone about the lobster and then he took he, 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 he had got a giant his lobster misunderstanding <laughs> yeah he had a real lobster of a misunderstanding merlin he uh <laughs> He uh, he got his uh, lobster. There was they sort of split them up, so one person got one and he got the other. And then he came back to his. He put the lobster on a station. Came back to what he thought was his station. Couldn't find the lobster. Flipped out at uh, uh, Marjorie. He, at Marjorie, that's right. And it turns out that uh, Marjorie or Karen. Somebody. It was Marjorie. He, he put it on Marjorie's station, and uh, it turns out that he had just misplaced his lobster, as you do sometimes. You misplace your lobster, but uh, and then Marjorie yeah, had that. Over twenty percent of men every year. <laughs> And then uh, poor Marjorie was like, lobster is right for you. Um, uh, Mar- poor Marjorie was like, uh, oh, I just thought Angelina brought me this lobster to be nice. I-, I felt bad that I didn't bring her something. Yeah, I think lobster is an interesting idea. So how long was the limit? Did they have 30 minutes for this. Uh, I think it was 20. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, the time thing is just it's such a bitch, especially like in Last Chance Kitchen, as we'll talk about. Like the amount of time they got for some of these, they get for some of these things is just so crazy. One thing I'm noticing, I feel like I'm noticing in this year, and maybe I'm not watching carefully, but it really feels like in my head in previous seasons, there's been much more of a limitation on 
ingredients. Mm-hmm. It does, seems like maybe it's just harder to like film locally at a Whole Foods or something like that. But like they'll just come up, they just you just got lobster out of nowhere to make a taco out of. Like it's super interesting, like what they have in the pantry. I just I guess I feel like I I, I miss the how important the ingredients you have access to and commit to are in what you make. Yeah, and I like that part of the show generally. Some some of the most memorable challenges to me are like the uni challenge, and I, I like seeing that constraint of like everyone has to deal with this crazy ingredient. And you're right, we haven't gotten much of that this season. Well, you don't, I feel like you don't even see, you've got the usual kind of like run around music while we go clang pans around. But uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just not watching as carefully as I should, but I, I like that part of it. But, you know, uh, when, they, when you do a gimmick season like they're doing, I guess you, you have trade-offs and those kinds of things. But what were some of the other things that were out there? Well, Chad, Chad, uh, who's from San Diego, he played it really, um, uh, he played it really uh, uh, smart. So he knew that the guest chef, uh, Javier... Uh, I didn't write down his last name, but uh, Javier something. And uh, he knew that him, the guest chef in Padma, liked spicy food. So he just went all out and made this really spicy taco. And I think he wound up winning. He did. That was with the sea urchin? Yes. I think he used the sea urchin. He did some, some sort of something with some peppers. Is that Alex? Does that sound right? Yeah. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> and then let's see what this, else. This season so far, I, I feel like this season there are, it feels like a quiz where, again, I'm being gaslighted. I, I don't know what a lot of the things they're talking about are this season. There's been, and that's the, that gets me to that whole ingredient thing is that they just come up with all of these ingredients and all of these styles. And maybe just because it's early in the season, we don't get to see as much, but I don't know. It feels kind of crazy. There's like just, there's just a whole bunch of stuff all over the plate. Well, I certainly feel like in previous seasons of Top Chef, I felt like maybe I was learning something from watching it of like I'd watch someone work with a weird ingredient and the show would take a beat to have them explain what it was and how you cook it. And I would just take a little, you know, it's not the same as watching like uh, Julia Child, but it's like you're you're getting a little something out of it. And I don't feel like that's true of this season. They'll just they'll just everyone's using uh, Ra's al Ghul and they just ride right past it. Right. Exactly. Uh, like I got a, I got a lot to say about the elimination challenge. Well, you got to You got to watch your footing, Merlin. No, oh, you absolutely. Hmm. Uh, a lot of beautiful stuff, though. A lot of a lot of good looking stuff. And who were the uh, who were the dinglings in this one? You got Wesley making taco sushi. And what was it that Angelina was attempting? I don't remember. It, Angelina's tacos. So to be honest, her food looked very good. And Angelina, um, this is one of those Top Chef things that drives me. You hate this. I really, really hate it because what happened was she made three good looking tacos, plated them on her cutting board which is how I eat 90% of everything that I've ever cooked is off of the My cutting board that I've... basically a plate. That's how people eat, Marlon. But uh, she didn't get it on the, quote, on the plate. Like, she easily could have, but she didn't. And uh, Padma came to her station and was like, I'm sorry, we can't even taste these tacos because you didn't plate them. To me, it's a situation where it's like, I understand there's the rules. You have to have rules of the game. But, you know, it's like maybe, well, they taste the tacos, and if she's in the top, she can't win. Because she didn't technically get it on the plate. But it's like, really, right. she's automatically eliminated in an elimination challenge? Because they're know, not even going to taste it's, it? I agree, except in as much as all rules are in some ways arbitrary. But it's just because, in fact, because they are arbitrary is why they must be applied. Otherwise, they wouldn't be rules. You get to sort of negotiate which rules are you know important or which ones you choose to follow. But with that said... When you watch it, we went back and watched it. My daughter and I watched it. I made my wife watch it. It feels clunky. It felt like a little bit of a setup. It was so weird, like how the camera was right there on her with the, you know, do-do-do, nothing's on the plate. It felt strange. It felt false to me. I'm always interested. You know at the end of the show when they're doing the credits and they're always like, 
oh, the producers may have like been involved in the final decisions of the judging, or there's some disclaimer like that. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. So I'm always curious, like, is the do they really? How much of this is like Tom and Padma really judging it? How much of this is what's reality and what's not? Right. This is like how people watch uh, like professional professional wrestling. Right. You're always trying to peel apart the reality from the from the 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 theater of it. And I like to think that Top Chef, what we see in the judges' table is pretty accurate, right? Like Padma and Tom are, you know, creatively in charge of the show enough that they're what they say goes. I definitely feel like that for uh, Top Dress. Like I, and I know that Tim Gunn and Heidi Klum are producers of that show and that their word goes, what they say goes. Uh, you know, it does make me question when there's something like this of like, Angelina didn't get her food on the plate. How do we handle it? Do we just make her ineligible to win but judge it or do we refuse to judge it and put her on the bottom? That's where the producers step in and they're like, what's right. the most dramatic? It is. And I mean, there's some kinds of things where you got to figure, at least I would figure that they shoot the whole, most of the whole season. I mean, I doubt that they're editing a particular episode, you know, when it's done. I bet they could look back at everything that's happened and do a lot of the editing based on what the arcs end up being. But with that said, in a situation like what you're describing, you have to make a decision like in the moment about what's going to happen on that show. And I don't know, did we talk about that show Unreal? Did you ever end up watching that? I did. You recommended that to me, and I uh, I watched it, and I loved it. I only watched a few episodes, but I really love the ones I watched. And I feel like, I mean, just watching that and having a friend who is a producer for reality shows... But, you know, what they kind of uh, put out there on that show, which seems reasonable to me, I don't know about the whole, like, you get a bounty if your person makes it to the end uh, as the producer of that person. But I, I could definitely see something like a, a writer's room going on around this, right? You've got to, you know, you can't, you don't want to have, like, catastrophe. I mean, you must have some idea of the people you think are the contenders or the, you know, the obvious dinglings and stuff like that. So there must be a certain amount of that. But I honestly can't tell you, I really wonder how much of that massaging goes on inside the shooting of an episode in particular. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And who knows? So there's all kinds of stuff with stuff being shot out of sequence. Somebody was pointing out that remember back in season two, was it when they tried to shave Marcel's head? Mm -hmm. And like in the one scene where supposedly what's her head has already shaved her head, but she hasn't, you can see she's still got hair in this later scene. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff where you're like, I, you know, they are putting this together to tell a story, but I honestly don't know. I would only be guessing at, at how much of this stuff is happening inside the episode. Well, Alex, what did you have about the editing? So I have a theory about Angelina um, because they kind of make her out to be this like young cocky chef. Uh, and there's one of those every season. But um, I really think that they did make that last second decision of we are we can't try this or maybe somebody even did try it um, and we don't know. But they wanted they knew that she'd pick Wesley and they wanted her to beat somebody out. And that did not happen. Um, and I still think they're trying to like brand her as like this young pit bull. And you read like interviews with her and that's just not who she is. She's this really hardworking, like upcoming chef. So, yeah, I think that was definitely producers in the background saying, all right, what's going to happen um, she's going to go against the weakest chef. It's, I, I think they expected her to win. Yeah, I agree that this is a season that's light, overall light on the drama of like the contestants arguing with each other. And I think, um, you're totally right that, that Angelina is like one of the only sparks of like interpersonal conflict in this whole season. And they're trying, the producers, they may not be like, willing to like completely tamper with the show but they're like we want to ride this out for as long as we can 
I mean, there is some danger. You'll see my line in there about all the dude bros. There is a danger of this being a pretty testosterone-driven. You know, there's gonna oh, there's gonna be they all white guys with beards. Yeah, who call each other dude and bro and do chest bumps and stuff yeah. like that. And like that's not you need some bitter and some sweet. You need a little bit of a mix of those personalities to keep it inter- interesting. Uh, and it's probably why again I, I don't want to keep jumping ahead, but the, again another great last chance kitchen this week. That's that's becoming my favorite part of the show, I think, <laughs> is still having all those fun personalities in there. But, you know, what would you do differently if you were a chef testant uh, making a taco in San Diego? Do you have a thought about what you'd do differently? Ooh. Uh, well, I feel like uh, the uh, the taco, much like the burger, benefits from um, uh, simplicity. And I think people, you know, I think I think on Top Chef, like a, a frequent trap that people fall into, is they go crazy with techniques or they go crazy with um, quantities of ingredients. And uh, a lot of times, the judges tend to respond really well to just like showing one vegetable and really, really developing it, like really doing an excellent execution. So I think, uh, I think the people who did the best, and, and I think what I would have gone to is like. Pick one protein, pick one vegetable, pick one flavor, and make the taco all about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a smart way to look at it. And if you, you know, another thing that will come up, will pop up from time to time is like, okay, you know, so if you try to do some kind of a technique that is really a little bit ambitious for the amount of time you have, and so your knife work on cutting up the vegetables maybe wasn't as good because you had to cut corners here and there, it's those little things really seem to add up. But, you know, the worst is, and this is straight off a top dress, is somebody puts together a basic black dress that, that anybody could cut up in the dark and then just puts a bunch of crap on it and, like, calls it a fashion. And I think that's a similar thing happens on, uh, on Top Chef where you don't want to go out there with something that you think is too simple. Oh, so you got to make foam or something like that. You know what I mean? Where you're basically putting lipstick on a pig in some ways. But, uh, I mean, I, I have so much appreciation for, like, I have to say, as a viewer of a TV show, also, like, kind of how it looks on the plate, which they've all, so many have been really good at this season. All right, let's, uh, so we got to get to this, uh, uh, the main uh, challenge. So uh, just to wrap up the, uh, this uh, sudden death uh, quick fire, so... Angelina basically picks uh, Wesley to beat in the uh, sudden death quick fire. I love the challenge. Good challenge. They both have to make a, a Caesar salad. Javier tells us that it uh, came from a town in Mexico, which I didn't know. It turns out. What a crazy idea, but man, I love a Caesar salad. We've talked about Caesar salads. Yeah. Now I really want a Caesar salad. Love, love a good Caesar salad. Do you ever have a Caesar salad where they toss it in a, in a bowl that's carved out of Parmesan? A Parmesan bowl? Yeah. This is a fancy uh, uh, on the East Coast. You sure that's fancy? That, well, sounds a little, that sounds a little bit like an Applebee's kind of thing. Come well, on down. Get our Cheese Chaser original bowl squeezers. If you eat the bowl, you f- get it for, get your salad for free. Almost nobody eats the bowl. Your <laughs> fork is going to be made out of anchovies. <laughs> uh, Sweet pepperonis. There's a uh, so I have uh, I have a uh, extreme brand loyalty to <clears throat> brand of grocery stores in uh, uh, the East Coast uh, in the, like uh, DC Baltimore region called Wegmans. Uh, but maybe some of our listeners will be familiar with. And Wegmans is just this like un- unbelievably high quality and, and well-priced grocery store. And uh, they have, at least at the Wegmans by where I went to college, that you could go to this like cafeteria, you know, the like uh, the hot food uh, kind of aisle of the, ca- of the store. And they had a little station where a guy would toss you a Caesar salad in like a hollowed out wheel of Parmesan cheese. It was so it was so good. Is that hygienic? 
Uh, well, I don't think they're using it for other things. Do they reuse the wheel? I can't imagine they're. I can't imagine they're doing a whole wheel for every salad. I mean, I think that they have to reuse costly. it. Yeah, I think you have to reuse it. Well, you know, I, you don't think about these things when you're in college. You're indestructible. All right. Uh, what do we got here? Wesley. Uh, so uh, Wesley made some sort of fried egg thing uh, with a grilled salad, which is always, in my experience, always a disaster. Whenever I encounter grilled lettuce, I run the other way. It's never good. He loves that. He loves like doing things to fennel and, and to salad products. It's, it's you've odd. Ever, you've ever grilled salad, Merlin? <laughs> You ever seen a grown man naked? Uh, you ever had you ever had a man you ever had a man grill your salad in a cheese wheel bowl? No, I don't think I've ever had a is like where the actual literal like romaine is grilled. Yeah, you know, yeah, they take a whole thing of romaine and you put it on the grill and it's got big grill marks on it. That was a that fad. Was terrible. It is not good. It was a food fad that came and went. I want to say three or four years ago. Uh, thankfully, it seems to have passed. But there was a while where like. Where all these like uh, savory uh, salads were getting grilled, it is not good. And uh, I I was very concerned that Wesley was going to go down for that grilled lettuce. But Angelina, she made like a crostini. It was basically like a salad on a toast kind of a situation. Yeah, that's you know that that's that's so I don't know, not amateurish, but like it's just it seems like it seems like something you would make for your stoned roommate. <laughs> It didn't. What, you're, you're making uh, me salad toast, really? Yeah, I don't know. It it, it was. Uh, I was a little worried the judges would eat it, and they'd be like, "Wow, this is so simple and pure." But uh, uh, she she wound up going home. Uh, Wesley took home the win, and uh, that. Uh, and then we get to our uh, elimination challenge. Dude, should we do a quick sponsor break? Yeah, that'd be great. This episode is uh, brought to us by uh, Hidden Valley Original Ranch. Hidden Valley Original Ranch, except no non-original ranch. Uh, and our friends at Backblaze. Backblaze is the unlimited, unthrottled online backup service for your Mac or PC. Backblaze allows you to access your data anywhere. And the way it works is extremely simple. It's just this tiny little app. It runs in your system tray, and it silently backs up all of your files uh, while you sleep or uh, in the background while you work. So you never have to think about it. And you never have to do anything special. Backblaze was founded by ex-Apple engineers. And the product sense in this thing is absolutely incredible. Backblaze is just uh, a native little app. It runs on your Mac or PC. And uh, like I said, it kind of goes in the background and um, uh, backs up your files. And then if you screw something up, if you uh, delete some files, if you lose your hard drive, if someone uh, grills a salad on your laptop, you can restore one file or all of your files extremely easily uh, on their website. Or you can even uh, use their iOS or Android apps. Or if you uh, really screw up, if you really lose your lobster... Uh, Backblaze allows you to order a USB hard drive in the mail with all of your stuff on it, and you can just back right up uh, from that hard drive. Um, this is my favorite part about Backblaze, Merlin. The pricing, you wouldn't believe how simple it is. There's no add-ons. There's no gimmicks. There's no additional charges. It's just $5 per month per computer for unlimited backup. And this is the best part. I can't believe this. Backblaze, they're offering a free trial for listeners of the Top Scallops podcast. Uh all please, both of our listeners, I implore you to go to get this free trial. Uh, it is available at backblaze.com slash scallops. No excuse not to use this thing. Not at all. I wanted to just highlight one thing this week that I, I just discovered today that's really cool. You know, it's it's easy to kind of wonder, like, wow, what's it going to be like for me to have to upload all my stuff? To How much stuff do I want to put up there? Can my bandwidth handle it? Uh, I put something in show notes that I think is really neat. And you go to uh, backblaze.com slash speed test. 
and it will run, you know, that speed test you use to like test your bandwidth. The, uh, it will the do Ookla. that for you and let you know basically how many megs a day you're going to be able to upload based on your current bandwidth. Because you can go in and say, open this thing all the way, throttle it, whatever you want to do. They are not going to throttle the bandwidth unless you tell it to. So if you want to go full bore and open that thing all the way up, in my case, I can upload 127 gigs a day, which is pretty great. So if you're wondering about that, go in and have a look. It's a great way to find out what you're, what you're in for if you decide to do this. I have a note that it was reveal. Oh, wait, here we go. I have a good one. my favorite, I think. Oh, that like porn the, is like, best $4 like I ever spent. Here we go. Uh, okay. I had a note that they, at some point they revealed that uh, Isaac, uh, the uh, Cajun Man 5000, his restaurant is called Toops Meadery. What? That was on his title card this week. To- What's it called? Isaac Toop. Toops Meadery. Toops Meadery. Mm-hmm. Toops Meadery. Mm-hmm. That sounds like uh, something from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Want to go, go to... and retrieve the ring from Troops Meadery. <laughs> Maybe somebody in Mos Eisley. Send, send 12 of our... To the Alderaan system with Troops Meadery. <laughs> send 12 of our swiftest riders to Troops Meadery at once. Fortify the Meadery. Troops, you shall not meet. Uh, let's see. Uh, then uh, uh, they drink the uh, craft beer and they uh, oh, they taste the uh, Ra's al Ghul in the beer. There's the beer with all the flavors that I'm not sure exist in beer. Uh, sidebar, Max, help me understand this. Because mm-hmm. they said it in like one sentence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you could just go to a place and say, give me some some beer with tangerine in it and they'll make it for you. Like, what? Well, it, it seems like, and don't you have to like age beer and stuff like that? How do they just make a bunch of beer with Ra's al Ghul in it? <laughs> I think, so uh, presumably they did this, uh, uh, well, the, the I knew the company. Is, is it Stone Brewing? Was that it? I can't remember. Yeah, I think so. Alex is nodding. I think it was Stone Brewing. They're a good brewery. I mean, they make t- delicious beer. I'm sure they know what they're doing, and they made the beer several months ahead of like production or whatever. But there were, I had many, que- I had so many questions about this challenge, Merlin. I wasn't going to get into all this. They really glossed over some stuff that seemed very important. Yeah. So did the judges put those? Did the judges actually design the beers to have those flavors, or did they give the beers to the judges and say, "Hey, what do you taste in here?" And then that became the challenge. And then additionally. Were the contestants supposed to make a food that paired with those beers, exactly. or were they supposed to make a or food replicated. that had those flavors in it? This is this is exactly my thought. I thought it was super confusing because, first of all, like I had to rewind twice because they so quickly go, "Hey, we got these beers. Do we get to drink these tonight?" Derp, 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 derp. And then Poppins like, "Well, they've been working closely with them." And like, and so, but it sounds like in one sentence they made it sound like. See, I'm imagining, like, I, still, I assume the way all of these things go is that a producer takes care of everything and then they tell the celebrity what they did. <laughs> so I'm guessing a producer said something, something tamarind and Ra's al Ghul, and then they tell Padma or Richard like that he made mysterious chocolate beer. But, you know, who knows? Maybe they said, here's three flavors. I, maybe a year ago they said, here's three flavors I think would be interesting to develop in a beer. So number one, I agree with you. I don't think it was clear like how this beer got made. It's one of the most mysterious flavors. Oh, chocolate? Chocolate's very... You, you know what? You add a little chocolate, you bring some mystery. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's mysterious. Yeah, sure. It's mysterious. mysterious. Uh, I mean, they part, wouldn't... I, they, he said it so many times. It must I be totally true. I totally agree, and I actually made a note of this. We don't have to talk about it now. At some point, I would like you to explain to me the concept of pairing, because I think it was a little unclear. On the one hand, they were seemed to be rewarding people that made things that tasted like the beer, and then they dinged what's-his-head because it tasted too much like the beer and quote-unquote canceled it out. 
I was very confused about this. I was when they went to the grocery store, um, they were all getting the ingredients from the beer. So the example is uh, whose beer had Tom's beer had banana in it, right? And all those chefs went out and got bananas. And I was thinking, does that does the fact that Tom said that he tasted banana in the beer mean that they have to put a banana in their dish, or are they just have to have some sort of you know smoky right. or savory flavor that could go well with a banana? That's my question, too. And again, I, I don't discount the fact that I probably just wasn't listening carefully enough, but I, I thought it was confusing. When you're doing a pairing, the idea is to make something that's in some way complementary in terms of like people are always talking about acidity and salt and sour and savory or whatever. The idea is to make something that's complementary, right? Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you would eat with this and it, it you want well. the uh, You want the little ratatouille uh, bubbles. Oh, the ratatouille bubbles, of course. Mm-hmm. That's a good illustration. Mm-hmm. I, th- I, thought it was, I thought it was confusing, but I, I just again, assumed that I didn't get it. No, I um I said uh, when that came up, I said Siri, go back one minute, and mm-hmm. it just took me back to uh, Emerald showing up with uh, butt wine. Butt wine, yeah, yeah, he had a lot of wine in his butt. Mm-hmm. Big butt full of wine, like the fatty Arbuckle of uh, Top Chef. <laughs> That's a myth. Um, so that was strange, and then they once again, kind of mysteriously, there's lots of ingredients and running around. So let's see. Uh, f- uh I had a, here's my notes here. Uh, I said, uh, oh, well, poor Wesley, he picked, uh, not only does he have to cook again at Richard's restaurant. That's, by the way, that's Richard's restaurant that I ate at. I ate at that restaurant, Merlin. Oh, no kidding. It looked beautiful. It was a very nice restaurant. That's a cool story about me. And then uh, that was the one where uh, Richard Blaze came out and uh, and said hello to us. Oh, right. Yeah. Um. So the challenge. Oh, yeah, but poor, know, there's, there's... Poor, okay. poor Wesley not only had to cook in Richard's restaurant, got Richard's beer. Guy can't catch a break. Right, right, right. Uh, super confusing. Can I can I make a comment about the this will this will be cut out. Um, God l- damn it, Alex! <laughs> Just be on the show. I don't, don't know if I'm way. on the show or not. You're on. Hi, You're on. It's I'm happening. I'm Alex Cox. Here's Alex. I'm a it's woman. That's the sounds we make. Um, this I, I think this challenge was intentionally vague um, for the producers and the judges intentionally because they can say like, oh, you didn't have enough banana in the beer. Oh, you paired the bananas with the beer. And this felt like the first actually creative challenge where they essentially got to make whatever they wanted to make. And it's it, it was like a chef's challenge, not like how cold can you keep your food on the golf course? First of all, please be on the show all the time because that's really smart. Yeah, my, that. That totally that does make sense, but it also gives them flexibility. If I hear what you're saying, flexibility in like how to go with this, like how they want to rule in context. There's lots of angles you could take. Right, right. because depending on who they want to kick off, they can either say, "Oh, well, you either put in, you made it taste too much like the beer, so it it quote unquote canceled it out, or uh, you didn't uh, make it taste enough like the beer and it doesn't pair." Is it me, or did it feel like the really the cooking part of this challenge went by very quickly this week in terms of time on screen. There was well, so I think it was that they had the sudden death quick fire. So a lot they had some to, of their time up. Yeah, so they had to cut, and we we did not see a lot of uh, cooking in uh, Richard's very cool kitchen. Um, they did give us some nice shots of uh, Wesley knocking over some service trays, though. Um, Here comes Wesley. Doop da doop. So let's see. We had uh, hashtag bananas. Bananas. And they uh, flashed the hashtag right on the screen. In the history of Top Chef, here's another note I wrote down in my notes uh, when I watched this episode. Uh, 
in the history of Top Chef, has anyone ever known how to use a pressure cooker? Boy, it really seems like there's always something there to, to, to I, mess people up. Merlin, now I'm not, you know, this this kind of for me, this is like, uh, you know, put the thing in front of the door if you need to take it to work the next day. I just want to say the time to first try out a piece of equipment is not on television. That's that's the thing. And but and uh, yes. And let me say this. If I'm ever on Top Chef, I guarantee you I if I, the minute I get cast, I am going to immediately go to Target and buy a pressure cooker and learn how to use it instantly. I'm just going to assume that at some point I'll either need to know how to use it or show someone else how to use it. Oh, I see it. what you're saying. Right, right, right. That, like, this is going to come up. Oh, it's it's every season someone goes home because they don't know how to use a pressure cooker and the lid doesn't go on right. I mean, that must be the – that is like the assembling the monkey shrine of uh, the Top Chef kitchen. It's also – it's sort of like this in previous seasons back when this stuff was still new and, and definitely new to people like me. There was always somebody who didn't – Richard had to show them how to do the sous vide thing or Richard had to show them how to do the – what's the what's the scorcher potatoes thing called? What did we ever the smoker? What called? Oh, the, the um, smoker, any infuser. Of those things, any of those things. If you're like back then in the, in the uh, Wiley Dufresne days, you're always talking about uh, molecular gastronomy and all these different kinds of dinguses for doing different kinds of things. I'm not sure if that has anything to actually do with molecular gastronomy, but like all the gimmicks. You always needed somebody. But you're right. Right, to come in the, I mean, like I, I, I know how to use a pressure cooker. I'm not great at it, but generally with a pressure cooker, I think you know if it's not working pretty quickly. Hmm. Do you have? Do you own a pressure cooker? No, I don't. My grandmother did, and uh, she ruined a lot of perfectly good food with it. Um, <laughs> she was uh, like, I, so if I'm going to do a corned beef, I do a corned beef in the slow cooker. But but my people like to put things in a pressure cooker where you can remove all the flavor very quickly. It's an efficient flavor removal what do you uh, what do you pressure cook i don't have a pressure cooker i've never used I think one scary you could end up in a youtube video with one of those things uh well i don't want to be on a list you know i just ordered uh 700 triple uh, a batteries so i may already be on a list uh huh. but uh uh with the pressure cooker here's the one thing i know that <clears throat> that intrigues me is i know that kentucky fried chicken uh, fries their chicken inside of a pressure cooker that's the secret to know. i believe that's the secret and that is some that fried chicken is so good it is. It's it very is. good fried chicken. So I, part of me has always felt like if I got a pressure cooker, I, I would be able to make good fried chicken. Fried, good fried chicken is hard. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it, you, know what's, you know what the thing is? You got to know in, about cooking at, at home. You got to know a make versus a buy. And good fried chicken is so abundant and so cheap versus it, it's so hard to make. It seems like it's always worth it to go out and get it. I feel that way about burritos in our neighborhood where, you know, we, we will have, we'll make tacos for fun, but it's not that fun. And we can go in for like, you know, six or eight bucks. We've got this amazing taco dinner, like right around the corner. I, I, I agree with you. And it, was it Marjorie who, who did the pressure cooker? I think it was Marjorie or Karen. I keep confusing. I keep making this rat king out of Marjorie and Karen, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> but Well, no, know, it wasn't Karen because Karen won. So it must have been Marjorie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I would not be experimenting with new equipment in an elimination challenge, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's another one of those double bind things, because if uh, if you try a new thing, sometimes you win and the judges are like, wow, good for you. You were brave. You tried a new thing. Way to put it all on the line. Sometimes you try a new piece of equipment and the judges are like, you fool. Never try something new when it's all on the line. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, so let's see. So on the top this week, uh, it was Karen. She won. She made, what did Karen do? The chicken? Can't remember. The, uh, was it, uh, duck? 
<clears throat> Let me look here. I got it somewhere here. She did roasted duck breast with cocoa nib beet puree and Ra's al Ghul roasted carrots. That The duck looked very good. Could we, we should probably take a moment and admit that Merlin's being jokey. Ra's el Hanu? Is that what that stuff is actually called? I, I believe so. I've it's never not had actually it. A, it's not actually a Batman villain. <clears throat> I don't think I've ever had it. Okay. It sounds like it's a bunch of different spices. African spices? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's like an African spice blend. It had uh, what, cardamom and some other things. It's like a pumpkin spice African thing. Mm-hmm. The pumpkin spice, it's not the pumpkin. It's the spice you put on the pumpkin. Oh, my God. You just blew my mind. It's true. A lot of people don't understand that there's no pumpkin in your coffee. A lot of... Man, That's the that was sure the thing to hate this year was pumpkin oh boy, spice. people are mad. All the basic bitches and their coffee. Ooh, I'm so mad. It doesn't... And people got mad. They're like, it doesn't taste like pumpkin at all. No, it's like... These people are so mad, man. Yeah. They get so mad about things. Well, you got uh, to have a hobby, Merlin. Everyone's got to have a hobby. hobby. Uh, it's a combination of couscous. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Uh, cardamom, cumin, clove, cinnamon, nutmeg, mace, allspice, dry ginger, chili peppers, coriander, peppercorn, etc. Paprika. You know, I made my own Cajun sparkle. Did I tell you that? Mm, you got to uh, warm warm the arms. Or no, what is it? Uh, warm the chest up and the arms will take care of themselves. Is that right? Where'd you hear that? Razal Razal Ghul. Razal Ghul. That's what he tells Batman in the in the good one. Uh, let's see. On the bottom this week, Jason, Wesley, and Isaac. And, uh, of course, uh, Wesley is sent home. And uh, very cru- a little cruel. I don't know if you guys caught this. A little cruel uh, uh, sound editing as Wesley packed up his knives and they were playing this sort of sad Top Chef music. Not um, a fart sound? Uh, not a fart sound, but as he walks away, they added a sound effect of a bunch of, like, pots and pans falling over as soon as he walked off camera. In fact, Alex, are you plugged into the mixer? Should we, should we play it? But you know what? I've gotten this far. To me, I feel accomplished. Especially who the competition is, I feel proud of that. That is so lame. <laughs> it's like it's like the cheapest joke. I felt so I felt so bad when I caught that. I'm glad you heard that too, Alex, because I was like I, I pointed that to Veronica, and she's like, "Don't they do that every episode?" And I was like, "No, they don't play a bunch of." breaking wine glasses every episode when someone walks off wesley (laughs) (laughs) it's a little mean it is mean they're like you know fat guy jokes messy guy jokes it's all just it's a little bit uh a little bit much all right so uh let's wrap this thing up uh uh merlin you you gotta go get your uh, cajun sparkle oh guarantee um Let's see, we had the uh, Last Chance Kitchen brought to us by Hidden Valley Original Ranch, mm-hmm. uh, and they had all three contestants. Uh, it was in a burger cook-off against each other. Uh, my only note on this was watching uh, Wesley go to town on that mandolin. Well, I, frankly, watching any chef on Top Chef go to town on the mandolin, they just put their whole palm and their whole body weight right into it, and they just go crazy, and there's no... They don't use the guard. They don't use aren't the glove. They, they don't use nothing. Super, super sharp? I cut the tip of my finger off on a man, on that exact mandolin, on the Behringer, the light blue uh, Behringer Japanese mandolin that's like the thing, thing that every chef uses in every kitchen, and every chef has a story about how they cut part of their hand or their finger off on a mandolin. I mean, those things are death traps they're so bad um and now i've learned my lesson so I, it was so funny actually i went to the uh er because my finger would not stop bleeding and i they brought uh, like a hand specialist over to like look at my hand and tell me that my finger would be okay and he was like what'd you do and i was like i cut the tip of my finger off on a mandolin he's like oh yeah i did that and then the nurse who uh, sued me uh, sewed me up was like uh, oh yeah i cut my uh, hand on a mandolin too everyone's cut their hand on a mandolin those things are those things those things are death traps wine glass crash 
Um, but uh, anyhow, uh, use the you know what I got on uh, Amazon.com, the wonderful website. Uh, you can just order like a little chainmail glove. That's a good idea. It's cheap. It's like five bucks, and it's you should a, get a whole chainmail chef's outfit. Yeah, so, so you wouldn't be out of period. Head to toe. Uh, but uh, man, I cannot. I have to. It drives me crazy when I watch people go to town on that uh, Behringer mandolin Gary, on Top Chef. So scary. I don't like my. Well, my daughter really hates it. We do not like the bloody injuries on uh, on Top Chef. Mm. Not at all. And then uh, I like this one a lot. Uh, I, I I enjoyed it a lot. I, I like watching people make a burger. I think a burger is a classic tough one. Were you the one talking about like the the test of you know can you cook an egg? I think a burger is a similar thing. Like you know, especially in fifteen minutes. Ooh, That's tough. That's tough. Now, uh, do you like uh, so they all kind of went with a version of like a fancy sort of thick hamburger with a lot of uh, a lot going on. Is that your kind of burger when you when you get a burger? It is not. I, I, that's a different kind of event food, the jokey California Uber burger. <laughs> I, like, I like a third of a pound burger, uh, depending on what you call medium rare. But, you know, a classic kind of medium rare to just a little bit closer to medium uh, with just a little bit of stuff on it. No, I'm like, right. I'm right there with you. I like a thin. I like a thin burger that gets crisp on the outside, and I I do not like having to unhinge my jaw like a cobra to put some sort of novelty burger that also has like a pork chop on top of it into my mouth. I don't think we're supposed to say that. I think we're supposed to be dudes who like a big burger and don't mind getting covered with it. But no, that is like I'd rather have two burgers. That's what I'll do. I'll have two burgers. But like I, you know, the jokey sized burgers with the jokey oversized bun and then half an avocado on it. Like that's not really to eat. That's like that's just that's just. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's not my thing. But uh, they all they they I, I think all three of these burgers looked really good. Totally. I did get a little nervous. Um, uh, Angelina's burger was pretty under. She did a pork burger, and it was it was not, it was rare. And uh, so I understand. I understand you eat a raw beef burger. I mean, people eat beef tartare. I mean, that must be okay. But the raw well, pork, you eat beef tartare. You've sourced to like a particular cow that you know like ended well. That is true, and I will say, uh, here's a good tip for our listeners. Uh, this is my uh, this is my tip of the week, my food safety tip of the week. Max's tip. When I went to America's test, I, I got to visit America's Test Kitchen. Story for another time. But uh, they were making burgers, and the chefs on America's Test Kitchen were joking off camera to themselves about that you should never buy ground beef uh, or allow a grocery store f- to grind your beef for you because the meat grinders at grocery stores are reportedly disgusting. And well, they, they, have, they have the residue of many, many different animals. Each animal you add to the mix adds more like uh, entropy to like the ch- – well, not entropy. I'm not a scientist. But there's a better and better chance that all you need is one of those to go wrong. That's right. Yeah, it's like you're rolling the dice way more than you would at home. So uh, when, when That's the one food scare thing where I have to admit I still cook in plastic, I still eat MSG. There's still lots of stuff. I'll I'll I'll, I'll eat uh, you know I'll have a polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbon. I'm not you know not an animal, but I do think about the beef thing, and it's one place where I'm willing to spend a little bit more. Yep, I uh, I'm the same way. I I get a little weird about uh, you know I don't want any uh, prions. What's a prion? Oh, that's the thing that gets in your brain and you die. Is that kind of like a henway? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to lose any lobsters. Yeah, about not, three pounds. Not looking to lose any. Uh, oh, up dog. Yep, the Henway. I thought I had you. <sighs> tried to try to try to ride right past it. <laughs> Merlin, what's a Henway? Hmm? Good week, big week, big week. The lamb eats dry, and this week's uh, product placement of the week goes to the Manchester Grand Hyatt because the Manchester Grand Hyatt is what's up. Was th- were they featured in this episode? 
actually said that. The Grand Manchester, somebody, as they walked into the room, said was ADR'd in with, the Manchester Grand Hyatt is what's up. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, boy. I'm not aware of any awkwardness. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, oh, uh, let's see. Angelina won. And uh, uh, my... Uh, my favorite, my favorite contestant, Grayson, is gone. That's an upset. That is an upset. I know. I'm going to miss Grayson. I'm going to miss Wesley, too. I like them. But, you know, I don't know. Angel- with Angelina, who, well, who, whomever want, would have won this? Like, who they're going to be up against in the next, like, three episodes? Like, they're pretty much guaranteed to go up against somebody really good. Also, you know, one thing I want to mention in passing, it is increasingly, I, I mean, I realize these are shot not contemporaneously with the episodes. It's becoming clearer and clearer to me how much later these are shot. Because Angelina's like a different person mm-hmm. in this. You really see, like, everybody's so much more relaxed. It's so much more fun. Grayson is not freaking out. And I, I really like that. I like that this is, you know, kind of joyful. It is more of the spirit of, like, Master Chef or, or what's Top Chef Masters. Yeah, it's the kind of thing I like to see on Top Chef. It's a more collegiate a- atmosphere. Tom's willing to bend the rules for people. It's, it's a happier, more fun show. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, good episode. Good season. I think now— Merlin, I, mean, I have a little bit of follow-up. Follow up. A little bit of uh, a little bit of a hot follow up. Uh, so we it's were speculating hot. last week as to whether Tom was changing his clothes, and uh, my uh, my lady friend Veronica pointed out that he is always wearing his chef's whites. Yeah, we, also, I, we, got, we got chefs blamed on Twitter. Uh, and I, if I had to guess, it's because Tom doesn't want to do a costume change every time they film one of those. So he's just like, "Fuck it, I'll wear my chef wipes, and uh, I don't need to change." That's if I had to guess, I could see Tom having that fight and being like. Just let me wear my my whites and we'll be done with it. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I, I you'll notice I've been skipping over how's Tom doing this week because uh, is Tom okay this week? Because I think he's doing. I think it's it's a fun year for him. He seems good. I'd like to see Gail on the show more. I like Gail. I love Gail uh, and uh, love Richard Blaze. I love having Richard Blaze as a judge. I learned this week that chocolate is uh, the most mysterious flavor. You want to get mystery in your food? Put in some chocolate. What could it mean? It could be anything in there. That's probably Descartes. Right? Yeah, you got, you get a little chocolate and you, yeah, that was really weird. Who knows when they edit these things? Like, who knows? Uh, they probably don't do five passes on it to make sure nothing's repeated. But uh, yeah, no, I love having Richard on here. I think he's wonderful on here. Again, your old buddy Emeril, always, always a delight with his uh, butt wine. Mm-hmm. Got every, got a little bit of butt wine, lost some lobsters. It was a good week. We're almost up to the halfway point. I guess next week we'll be halfway or thereabouts. I, I think I know all the chefs' names now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling better about that. I think what we, do you think about Jason? you think Jason's going to make it in the long run? How, how long? I'm, I'm getting worried about Jason. So sometimes you get a, uh, a boring sleeper guy. Sometimes in the, like, the last four episodes, one of the guys left is like one of the boring candidates who you weren't paying attention to. Or uh, boring contestants, I mean. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. And then they come out of nowhere and they win the whole thing. Right. That could be Jason, because I don't know almost anything about him. Yeah, I, I could see Jason being set up to be kind of choky in a couple, three episodes. I mean, who's it going to be? Let's look at who's there. Well, I've, I've had my same. I want to be on the I want it to be clear. I'm on the record having picked Kwame the first episode. So I'm, I'm riding Kwame all the way to the top. Well, Kwame and Chad, both, you have the numbers on your side with the number that they have won. I think, I think, I would not be surprised. I'm going to say... All, all of them good and very interesting, but Isaac, Amar, or Jason, I think are very likely to be one of the next ones out. Are you? Oh, one of the next ones out. Yep. I could see Isaac flaming out. I could also see Isaac going all the way to the finale. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. He's exciting to watch on screen, and sometimes he pulls out really interesting food. Oh, he's a, he's a lot of fun, but, you know, I don't, 
yeah, I don't I don't think he's going to make it. As far as I think you're right, you might have bet on the right horse with Kwame. You uh, are you still feeling good about uh, Marjorie? Um, yeah, I mean, like I, I, given that I keep confusing her with Karen and have to remember which one has funny colored hair, uh, it's probably not a good sign for my memory. But no, I think Kwame is the is the one to beat at this point. Although Chad again keeps doing very very well, and he seems to have both good taste and excellent implementation that keeps serving him well. Very good. We're done. We did it. Can I get some uh, Cajun Sparkle? I'm buying an Amazon Echo right now. Are you really getting? Are you going to get one? All right, I'll get one too. We can be we can be Echo buddies. But I I, I feel like it's going to listen to me and it's going to sell me ads. Okay, th- th- that was Max the craziest conspiracy theory, and there's no way that that's real. I think there's it is no though. Way. If I was no. Amazon, that's what I would do. They do that at scale. It's not sustainable. So like, I said, okay, I'm sorry. Now I feel like I have to defend myself. So I said when I came up with my crazy conspiracy uh, theory. I tweeted it and I said, if it was not so computationally expensive and I was Amazon, this is what I would do. And someone replied back to me and they were like, I am a computational linguist and it is not computationally expensive. And this happens all the time across the board. It's already technology that's rolled out in phones and TVs and stuff. And it's not hard. Well, I think there's there's at least three levels. To, sorry, I just started boiling water. There's at least three levels to this that I, I think are worth thinking about. One is, uh, is it conceivable? That it, that it is listening to you. Well, yes, it's absolutely conceivable. It's happening all the time. Could it be capturing you all the time? Unlikely, but entirely possible. Is it parsing based on all of that stuff, like in real time? Almost certainly not. That's where you get into the NSA stuff, right? Where like they've got everything somewhere. It's just that they're not. They, but, it would be impossible for them to do. Anything but it doesn't need. To, but it doesn't need to, because all it needs to do is uh, get, listen for certain words. Like you know how Hey Siri works uh, instantly now. How that you know how that works? Yeah, theoretically, yeah. It's like it go. It it it's always listening, and then it goes on a little bit of <laughs> it's delay. Always theoretically listening, yeah. Oh, you mean I, when I it works? Not, I have not had excellent. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I take your point though. Yes, I do yeah. know that. Yeah. yeah. So why couldn't that? I mean, even if it's not perfect, like, why couldn't they do that with the thing? They just listen they to the word could, dishwasher. Apple says that they, it is not even being captured on your phone. It's mm-hmm. just basically it's used solely to scan for that one string to be spoken. And then it sends stuff up to the cloud after that. Maybe. So I, but I don't know why the Echo, which is like always plugged in and always on the Wi-Fi, could do the same thing for certain target marketing I keywords. Find that, I want to find that radio show. It was, that a, was, it the planet, was it the Planet Money about um, how the Walmart discovered that the guy's daughter was pregnant before he did? Oh, my God, that might be it. And there was a guy who's famous for something else. Was it Douglas Hofstadter wrote something about it, I want to say? It, that t- it sounds right. It's like some sciencey guy. And that Target, I think, discuss- sent a mailer to his daughter that she that was, like, uh, expecting. Here's some coupons. And he, and, it, and he laughed about it, but then it turns out she was pregnant. Oh, my goodness. Because oh. they found figured it out from... Her credit card that is, records. That is so gross. And I mean, and look, this is the beginning of the like, how much is AI really going to kill us? Is that like, it's all these unexpected things happening that never were part of the plan that we're not thinking about. And then, you know, three, three or five orders away from that that we can't even begin to imagine. But it's not, it's not even AI. It's how much, how much, w- it's just people with more information. It's like, we, and we've had this situation in, in surveillance states before where it's like, if there's yeah, if there's yeah. information, it will be abused. Like, that, yeah, I'm sorry. That's what I kind of meant to yeah. say. Is like not not the technology part of it, but like, and that's what I find so flustering about so much of this government stuff. Is like, how good is your security on all that data? Right. Because just wait, wait until somebody gets at that. Like, oh my god. 
Like even if we quote unquote trust the the folks who are capturing that, like Boy, the concern is, becomes. <clears throat> this is really going uh, tinfoil hat. But did you read about the uh, uh, OPS hacks? This uh, so so all of my civics uh, hacker had civic hacker friends were like outraged about this, and I started to get into it. And it's like the most ter- one of those the most terrifying things I've ever heard about. So there's this thing in the government called OPS, the Office of per- or OPM, Office of Personnel Management. And anyone who has a government job has to apply through OPM. So basically, this is where oh, this is where like nine, nine million people their stuff got basically. But but so check this out. So if you want to go into like intelligence, they send people to interview like all your acquaintances, and they and they so try to figure out like, are it. you having an affair? Are you using drugs? And the reason they care is because in theory you could be extorted. You don't want like an like a foreign agent to you're, extort you're vulnerable. you. Exactly. So they want to know. And what happens most of the time is they found out someone used to use drugs and they don't allow them into um, the intelligence you know, community. They don't because they can't get clearance because they could be extorted for something. Or they find out that someone's wife is having an affair and, and the person doesn't know. And they're like, that's too dramatic. We don't want them. And you get rejected and you never find out why. Okay, so all that information, the people who made it through OPM background checks, but also the people who didn't, lives in a database. The database was hacked. OPM denied the hack and they were like it was only metadata and it wasn't that bad and like as the guy was doing a press conference saying how not bad it was they got hacked again and that was the thing where all the nine million records got outed and now it's out there it's on the it's on the internet and and you know people are finding out but even if it was stuff that was later considered to be like non-actionable like just anything that got collected again it's it's almost like well there's no judge deciding whether or not that's admissible that was just raw data and that's all just sitting there somewhere just waiting to ruin people that's right it's and it's our it's already out there including people so it's people who are in the service who now like you know enemy states have it and people who never got in because there was actually some Ugh. shady stuff in their past it's Boy, a, talk about being vulnerable now jeez yeah it's like the uh it's it's like a huge disaster that i don't know why it didn't become more of a story but that really scares me because that's the that's the end game with you're right that's like where all the surveillance stuff is going is it's not how the government's going to use it it's that w- what happens when it gets out I know. I agree. I um, what I'm, well, I'm signed up for a couple services uh, that are, you know, sometimes occasionally uh, interesting, if not always useful. I'm signed up with uh, Have I Been Pwned? Are you uh, signed yep. up with them? Yep, I have that. The so uh, I got I got one I got one yesterday, like which was like the comic comicbookdb.com just got dumped, like like thousands and thousands of accounts. And I went in there and changed. It was it was a probably a twenty character password from. You can go find me in there. I've already changed it. You know, again one password, but. You know, who knows if they're inside one password? Ah, my tinfoil hat. Ah, is that a cow? Hmm? No, it's a kid with a mini bike. Oh, okay. Me, 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 me. Sometimes he likes to work on it. Like while I'm doing podcasts, we, 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 we. Drive away and I hear. Then he comes back in the garage. He goes, we, 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 we. That's cool. I mean, we'll never be that cool. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No mini bikes for us. You ever watch a guy pull up uh, to the bar or something on a motorcycle? It looks real cool, and then uh, you're, everyone's looking at him because he's loud, and it's like, wow, look at that cool guy going by on the motorcycle. And then he stops and he has to waddle it back into a parking space. Honk, 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 honk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Look at me, 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 me